Unicorns, my personal journey to Boston 2014. Hello and welcome, my friends. This is Chris, and this is the fourth in my series of personal podcasts that I am doing to air out my brain and deal with my father's cancer and gear up to run for the Liver Foundation at the Boston Marathon this year. And it's important to note that even though this is on the Run, Run, Live podcast feed, this is not the Run, Run, Live podcast. You have fair warning to skip now because I'm not talking about running. Standard Run, Run, Live episodes will be labeled as such on the podcast feed. And I'll do something to move these to a separate place at some point in the future. As part of this project, I am collecting donations for the American Liver Foundation for my running of the Boston Marathon this year, and I wanted to layer on some purpose for the event and make it more personal. So if you'd like to help out, the donation links are in the show notes, and you could also go to www.go.liverfoundation.org forward slash go to forward slash C-Y-K-T Russell. My story is that I already had a number for this year's race. I didn't need to fundraise, but with my dad's health declining, I thought it would be a decent thing to do to dedicate this to him and my family. Today I'm going to read you a couple of short pieces to mark my dad's passing this week. Our extended family got together to celebrate my dad's life, and I'm going to include an interview I did with my dad on his 80th birthday back in 2008 as episode 25 of the original Run Run Live podcast. So we are a a close family, and my dad's death leaves a big hole in our lives and in the lives of our friends and in the community. I learned a lot from my father. Much of who I am today I owe to him, and he will live on in me and all of us. We are here to mourn a passing, but also to celebrate a life well-lived. Good morning, Chris. Yeah. So, happy birthday. Well, thank you. Any time you have birthdays at this age, they're happy. So, did you uh, do anything special? Yep. We uh, put the pool to bed for the winter. Your mother and I I worked on it for something like six or seven hours. And then we're going to go out and have something to eat. We're both too damn tired to. We just sat down in a chair. Well, that's kind of the the, uh, the blessing and the curse of having a pool, you know, the size of the oh. pool you guys have. Yeah, and this year was a curse. I think we used it about three times. Yeah, because all the yeah. rain. Yeah, the weather. The weather was terrible. I put a solar panel in it and never had any solar. <laughs> but it helped a little bit, right? It warmed it up a little bit. It did. It brought it up to 85, and I thought that was great, except it was only there for like three days when it started to rain. Yeah, well, you know. Having a big in-ground pool in New England is uh, maybe not the highest utilization thing in the world. No, that's true. But once it's in the ground and you've got this big hole full of water, it's pretty hard to just get rid of it. Yeah, you could stock fish or something. Yeah, you um, can't just pick it up and throw it away. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, so you're 80, huh? I am 80, huh? So, uh, 
that that means you were born in uh, 1928. That's exactly right. And in 28. And if I do my math correctly here, that means you missed uh, having to go over to World War II by about three or four years, huh? No, less than that. When I graduated from high school, I was 17. I just turning 17. And a lot of my classmates had been drafted or had volunteered. You could volunteer for the Navy at 16 in those days with your parents' permission. You couldn't go overseas or you couldn't go into combat until you were 17. But a lot of a lot of the guys from my class, you know, had actually done that, and uh, I was fairly young in my class. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's it's amazing thinking about that now, uh, going up to uh, you know dropping the kids off at, at school, and uh, you know, I got a 17 year old. I just can't imagine them <laughs> being in battle. That's uh, it's a different world. But they I guess fought, they fought in World War Two. They were the they were the cadre in World War Two. The young men. So um. You sound like you have a cold or something. You got a cold? No, no, not really. It's just my voice is sort of continually husky. It might be uh, some of the medication, or maybe I just haven't been up long enough. Yeah, you haven't had your coffee yet? You probably don't drink coffee anymore. I drink decaf. Yeah. That's the perils of old age, huh? You have well, to get rid of all those vices. Well, it's a blood pressure thing. You know, the, uh, and it isn't so much that the caffeinated coffee raises your blood pressure, it's that it raises your blood pressure before you go to see your doctor for your checkup. Yeah. I think you drink it any other time and just don't drink it when you're going to see the doctor. Everything will be fine. Yeah, so, you know, this this is good for me because uh, it lets me know what I'm up against, right, what I what can I, what I could expect over the next 40 years. So um, there's some lineage involved here. Yeah, i got a, a number of things to look forward to, some, uh, some high blood pressure. Also, I have some uh, physiological gifts from you guys. Um, one being my uh, congenital uh, heart murmur, and oh, then yeah. al- also my resting pulse of, uh, you know, right around 35 beats per minute, which is yeah. is wonderful for being a long-distance runner. That's right. It's wonderful when you're young. They don't like it when you get older. Yeah, they gotta they got to put the supercharger in your chest when you get older, right? Yep. yep. That and a long card. Yep, exactly. So, uh, hey, when I was... Growing up, you used to run, and yeah, I was I, I was r- wondering, and the question I had for you is, you know, nowadays, from probably like 1980 or even the 70s on, you know, running running slash jogging became sort of, you know, okay to do, and you expected to see people out there. And the mental picture I have, and it's probably wrong, because, uh, you know, we, we paint pictures about the past. The mental picture I have is that nobody really did that back in the 50s and 60s. I mean, were there people like us who just went out and ran for fun and, and did this sort of thing? Or, you know, was everybody sitting around smoking cigars and, and eating trans fats? No, I think for the most part, the people who ran then ran competitively. The people who trained for the marathon and things like that. It wasn't a conditioning thing. Uh, when I, when just before I turned 40, I was 39, they had a, a group of adult education here in town, and uh, we went into the high school gym, and we ran, jogged. Yeah. And it became apparent to me, after about two turns around the floor, that I was going to collapse and die. Yeah. So I started I go, going to that, of course, but then your, uh, John, your Uncle John uh, Quentin and I used to run the rail trail from Groton to Pepperell. It was just a road, a gravel road that ran alongside the railroad tracks, and it was three miles out and three miles back. 
Right. So we used to get on two or three nights a week and just run that and just run it. And we actually uh, got to where we had pretty good, pretty good conditioning. Uh, my best time, I ran a five-minute mile there, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Because in those days, the five-minute mile was uh, the grandfather mile. That was, you know, that was probably in mid-40s, something like that. Yeah. And once once you get hooked on the idea of staying in condition, you keep it up. I uh, joined the boys' club when I had my business, and I'd go down there at least three mornings a week. I'd run five or six miles in the gym, go shave and shower in the, in the sauna, and the shower, and uh, go to work. Yep. And, uh, it did that regularly, and I think it probably has paid off because uh, my legs are in good shape, which is kind of amazing. I have so many of my friends who can't walk because of bad circulation in their legs, and, and uh, actually my legs are in very good shape. In fact, one of the things they check is the pulse in your legs. Right. And when I was, and when I was having my, uh, my pacemaker implanted, the nurse actually called the doctor and said, "Come to the pulse on this guy's feet." <laughs> I that was, but that was pretty good. Yeah, I always, uh, I always love that part when you go in to give blood or something, and the nurse comes in and tries to find your pulse. And with uh-huh. our, you know, congenital low pulse rate, they, you just watch their face, right? And they, they put their yeah. finger on your pulse for about ten seconds, and then you see this sort of look of horror come over their face, and they, they, and then it. You know, nowadays it dawns on them in another ten seconds. Like, oh, you're you're a distance athlete, aren't you? Yeah. Um, yep. But uh, they go, they, you know, they're ready to rush you into the emergency room with that thirty-five beats a minute pulse. Yeah. When I had a hernia operation when I was much younger, uh, it was I was I had been running at the time, and um, the nurse panicked on the thirty uh, pulse per minute pulse rate. And um, called Dr. Borden, Bob Borden from Grotten here, who was a doctor at the time. And he came over and hung a sign on the bed. It says, do not medicate. The man's a runner. Yeah. Don't don't medicate him. He's not dying. Exactly. Right. Yeah. He's healthier than most of us. Yeah. I should uh, I should get one of those um, bracelets they make people wear that says, uh, says all your vitals on it. Yeah. So, so somebody doesn't try to jump start me when I'm just taking a nap. Yeah. So uh, it's it's ironic that same rail trail now is the sort of, is the the paved running trail, you know. Yes, it is. Yeah, when it is. when I can remember running down there probably when I was five and you guys were out running, and uh, it was just you know it was a abandoned railroad bed. They just tore up the rails and left the bed. Just gravel and a lot of flowers. Yep. Exactly. And big turtles. So yeah, it's um you guys you and mom always came out and. Uh, and supported me in my when I started getting into marathons and stuff, and that that yeah. was pretty cool because when the rest of my family abandoned me, you guys would be out there holding water bottles. And, water bottles, uh, yeah. Well, we, you know, at one at one time, Chris, I had actually uh, I was going to run the marathon because I was I was running pretty well, you know, but I didn't have in the business I had, I didn't have the time to put in that kind of time to get up to that kind of distance. You know, the, I mean, the the business kept me kind of busy, right. which was good. You can't fault that, certainly. Yep, it, I do uh, the same thing. Paid a lot of the bills. Yep. So what's um so so when you guys were out there, sort of uh, being my my crew, what do you remember about that? I mean, what what do you you know what was the sort of memorable moments for you there? I know what the memorable moments for me were. Well, let's see now. The one time we were. Uh, 
right close to Hot Break Hill there. I remember that. Yeah. And uh, another, another time we were across from Wellesley College. Yeah. Which and is always crazy. Was, yeah, I thought that was kind of nice because there were a zillion good-looking young ladies cheering and screaming and hollering and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly makes my day when I'm out there. Yeah, I'm sure it does a little, a little, yeah, a little support from the other sex. You so, know, I mean. It's, it's great. And I, I guess you, Teresa's running now, right? I mean, she has been running with you. Yeah, actually, she just made varsity field hockey as a uh, as a freshman up there. Yeah, that's what that's what Peg was saying. I thought it was JV. No, she made varsity. Really? Yep. Oh, I didn't realize Peg thought it was JV. So, but even so, I mean, you know, the the running has done well for her too. Not only that, it's kept your dog in good shape. Yep, buddy, the wonder dog. He's uh, yeah. he's my he's my uh, motivator. He doesn't let me sit around. So. Yeah. The uh, when when you guys you know it was there was no real template there's no real support groups for for you know for running back then I think you guys you know again it's my memory my picture of this is is that you guys basically learned how to run in uh, in the army or in the uh, you know in the service no that's not true Chris because I was in the gentleman's outfit yeah I was I was in the air force and when I went in they were so hard up for people. We went through basic training in about, about three weeks, I think, and they shipped us off to tech school. So there really was no physical training involved with me at all. I mean, you hear marching 20 miles and all that stuff. I did none of that kind of stuff. I really? Sat down, took a, I sat down, took a battery test. They ran us through a gas chamber and made us take our mask off with uh, tear gas. Uh that, and they had us shoot uh, an M1, I think, and on the range. And then they put us on a train, and they shipped me off to Kiesla in Mississippi uh, to learn all about long-range bombardment radar. And but there was no PT at all. And yeah. uh, nowhere in, in any of the other bases that I was at, the only PT I ever found was getting off the base and going to a dance somewhere. Right, and this was during the Korean conflict. Yes, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was they, I went in on. I they in still all had a draft. Yes, they did. In fact, I got my draft notice, and I went down to the post office in Lowell to join the Navy. The Navy had gone to lunch, so I went across the hall and joined the Air Force. And they were doing a lot of acceptance at that time. They checked this guy's eyes and passed these five guys. And this guy would be in a bottle, and they'd pass those five guys. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they they needed. We had one man show up in basic training missing a foot. <laughs> so it, you you was probably if the Navy had been there, I might not have made it because of the uh, the hot murmur. Yeah, they yeah. just weren't they weren't that concerned in the Air Force. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. If you wait long enough, there's a war for all of us. Yeah, no kidding. Unfortunately. No kidding. Well, these days, anybody can push a button, pull a trigger. Well, you and David, my two sons, are the only generation of young men that hasn't gone off to war in, in eons of time. Really, yeah. go back, you know, every 20 years. Yep, we were, uh, you know, four or five years too young for Vietnam, and yep. uh, and that's it. You know, that was yep. our that was that was the war of our generation. So and everything else is volunteer now. 
So, uh, see, yeah. I, I think that's wonderful. I guess, uh, yeah, I think um, I think one of the founding fathers said something about that, that uh, we fight wars so our kids can can uh, can study uh, politics so their kids can study philosophy or something like that. Yeah, could be. I haven't heard the quote, but you may very well be right. So that's one that uh, people like to quote a lot. So the um, you guys are really active. One of the things about you guys is uh, you're you're active all the time, right? And, I think uh, if you stop, if you stop, they bury you. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, just tell just tell me some of the stuff that you guys are doing right now. Well, as you know, your mother and I teach ballroom dance lessons, and yep. uh, we've had we've had classes like we had twenty five in our last spring class. We teach a class in the fall and a class in the spring. And uh, unlike the big guys, we charge $5 a night per, per person, and then we give the money to the senior center for them to spend on the senior center any way they want. And we have uh, had, we've gotten so much more out of this than we've given. We have met so many wonderful people. We, go, we have a ball. We're going out tonight uh, to the Tewksbury Senior Center for a ballroom dance from 7 to 11. And uh, a good part of our of the people that were in our classes will be there. We end up uh, probably supplying 15 or 20 people to every dance now because, uh, of, you know, there was a student, is, is a poor choice of word in this case, they were associates in this dance stuff. A lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. It's good exercise, and it, it's a, a very good hedge against dementia because you have to think with your head and your body. Mm. Interesting. You know, yeah, it is. So when you stop running, Chris, we'll get you into dance class. Well, I can always swim. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, yeah, except in yeah, except my pool, which is too cold. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's got the cover on it now. Yeah, right, it sure has. We had 50-some-odd frogs in it. Yeah, that's what that's what Mom was telling me. You guys had to do a, a giant frog exodus. You had your Absolutely. own your your own yeah. plague, your own version of the plague. We had a huge bucket with a little water in the bottom. We just put them all in the in the big bucket, and then when I got the cover back on, we carried them down the hill, Peg and I, and we dumped them in the brook. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure when it rains on the cover, they'll be back. Yeah, they'll all migrate back. So I think I've told you this. <clears throat> I think I've told you the story the one time. The frogs on the cover were getting less and less. When I went out one morning, there was a great blue heron sitting right in the middle of the pool cover, eating frogs. Yeah, yeah, we have those. Yeah, we have those around here. I see them when I'm out running too. Yeah. So uh, me, me and the dog. So I'm doing an ultra marathon in a couple of weeks. I got through all my training. Is that the 50 some odd mile one? Yeah, 50 miles. 50 miles. So it's good because it's slow, you know. It's, oh, uh, okay. Still a challenge, it but it's not. It. What's that? I say I would be if I ran it. Yeah, well, it's real slow. Yeah, it has to be, you know. So, so you should uh, you should suit up and run the 5K at Groton with me and Teresa this year. Now, what I you know we still have the uh, we have a treadmill downstairs, and when the weather gets cooler, so we really can't get out. We're pretty active people, anyhow. We walk down at the rail trail, we ride our bicycles down there, and. Uh, when the weather gets a little nastier, we turn on the treadmill downstairs and put 45 minutes or so in that. 
I'm telling you, at uh, 80 years old, you're guaranteed to win something. I think there's a $20 gift certificate in, in it for you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because you've, you've won, you know, by attrition. So they just make it out directly to my cardiologist, or <laughs> I have to bring it to him. I don't know. Oh, there's a lot of EMTs on the court. <laughs> I know. We, we provide the radios for that. That's kind of a fun thing. Yeah, the ham radio stuff. So, um, um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, you still selling your Corvette? Yeah, I am if I can. Get any takers? No, but I've passed out a lot of, uh, you know, flyers and stuff like that. And, uh, I don't know, we'll see. It's, you know, it's uh, not this kind of thing that you'd expect to walk out the door and sell. The word has to spread. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a nice, I, I took it over yesterday to Conway to get a sticker on it. And uh, they chose the mechanic who was like six foot four and weighed, I don't know, probably 260 pounds to bring it in to get the sticker. And I, when he was walking out, I said to Jake, he's not going to fit in that car. And Jake had a big smile and he says, I knew you were going to say that. But he got it in anyhow and he got it back out. He said this big problem was around the front of the, uh, uh, the, the uh, front of Conway's uh, Chevy place there, he went to put on the brake. He couldn't raise his knee because the steering wheel was in. <laughs> and he had to cock it way to one side, like to stop, you know. But it yeah. is tiny inside. Yeah, it's like like when I get in my truck after uh, after my daughter's been driving there. I can't, yeah. I can't get my feet underneath the yeah, the wheel. Yeah, yeah. So and, uh, that's as far back as the seat goes. That's I said that. I said that's as far back as the seat goes. He says, I know. Because apparently he had tried to push it further back. Yeah. The uh, so we're talking about a uh, 1960 classic uh, tuxedo 1960 red Corvette. Corvette. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, I that's think pretty people cool. were smaller in those days. Yeah. There's not a lot of creature comforts in comforts in that car. I think it was built for uh, for speed. It's a truck. Yeah. It has no power brake. It has no power steering. It rides hard. It has you know the suspension is awful. The speedometer goes to 160 miles an hour, and I challenge anybody to hold that thing on a road over over about 70. Yeah, yeah, and and the torque's amazing. It'll just uh, the oh, back yeah. end will just go right out from under you if you stomp Absolutely. on the gas. Yeah, yeah, because it's got Absolutely. a power to weight that's uh, that's just crazy. So and all the weight is right over the front wheels. Yeah, yep, with the big engine, no body. So, that's but right. it's it's cool looking. Definitely turn heads when you get on the road and that. I think it's one of the prettiest guys they've built. I suggested to General Motors through Conway that they put that cove back on the new Corvettes and give it a different color. I think that the, that the, the body is already sculpted for it. Yeah. All you need is a chrome strip and a different color. And uh, I think they'd sell a zillion of them. And yeah. General Motors gave me their undivided indifference on the whole thing. Yeah, well, you know, they're busy going out of business. They've been working hard at going out of business you know, for about 30 no, years. So. No, they're not. As a matter of fact, they're doing so well in Europe right now that it's compensating for what they're losing here in the States. And yeah. in 2000, 2010, they're all electric, all electric comes out. Okay. And it's about the size of one of the small crossovers, much like the one we have. Sure. And, the, one, uh, the one with the dent in it from my daughter. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little dead. And uh, the uh, uh, Dick said that people have been coming in already wanting to put a deposit down so they'd get one. 
Yeah. Because we well, really we really can't do that yet because they don't have them. But yeah, well, it's uh, that's the right way to do it, right? The right way to go is those hybrids. Yep. And uh, you know, as speaking as an engineer now, batteries are a stopgap. These supercapacitors are going to be the answer to storing energy. They've invented a whole series of supercapacitors that can store an enormous amount of energy, and they and they don't lose it. Yeah. They're very efficient. Yep. Well, you know, I've been telling people that we got to wire up our treadmills up to the uh, the wall sockets, so you prototype that for me. Get all these miles pumped back into the grid. Make up oh, some, all saying, the calories yeah. I'm burning. Well, mine plugs into the wall socket anyhow, but it drives it the other way. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, All right. well, it's, yeah, it's not going to be a solution. It's going to be many solutions. And the answer, Chris, is to get the politicians the heck out of it and ah. set up a group of engineers and physicists to solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's got to happen. But uh, it, happened, it happened twice, Chris. One was called the Radiation Labs. The other was called the Manhattan Project. Neither one of those things could ever have happened. If the, the uh, you know the government uh, officials had stayed involved, well, you need a compelling event, and uh, yeah. it seems we have a compelling event here, so that's good. And I think uh, I think you're right. There'll be a lot of other alternatives. I mean, hey, we ran out of whale oil in the 1870s, and we uh, sure. managed to overcome yeah. that one. So uh, the so engine oil out of silicon now. Yeah, that's right. Well, I I. I'm telling everybody that I'm doing my part because I'm only eating food that's been cooked in uh, in uh, biofuel. There you go. So, you know, French fries, potato yeah, chips, buffalo wings. Lard, lard would be <laughs> biofuel, unfortunately. <laughs> so that's my joke. Um, all right, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. That's uh, We're coming up on our time okay. limit here of some sort. And, okay. and uh, appreciate you coming on and chatting with me. And uh, we'll... Uh, We'll give you uh, your happy birthday, 80, 80, uh, 80th birthday. Yeah, well, thank hope you. Hope you have many more. Yeah, well, at least a few. At least a few? <laughs> nice. Yeah, at least a few. That'd be nice. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you later. Thanks. Okay, see you later, Andres. Thank you. All right, bye. Thank you for joining me in my journey. This week I surpassed my fundraising goal, and I'm grateful for the friends that I have that have supported me. And uh, to take you out, here's in loving memory of Earl D. Russ Russell, born in August the 27th, 1928, and died March 24th, 2014. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and in dying that we are born to eternal life. Thank you for joining me on my journey with purpose. <laughs>